Hey, Kansas City. You're listening to Real Humans by Gina Kaufman, a weekly podcast from KCUR Studios. On this episode, what can Missouri kids do when politics interfere with school safety? They're expected to sit in their desks, so the one form of rebellion they have is to get up and walk out. Back in December, as Columbia Public Schools headed into winter break, students and teachers got word that they'd be returning post-holiday without a mask mandate. This was at the height of the Omicron variant surge, and Quinn Feltz, a sophomore at Hickman High School, got an uneasy feeling in his stomach. Quinn is 15. He has never known high school to be what's often invoked as normal. When the COVID-19 pandemic began, he was still in eighth grade. I didn't even say goodbye to like any of my teachers because I didn't know. He spent a lonely summer distanced from friends before starting high school in hybrid mode. We came in and we kind of alternated days. Um, Like a group of people would go Monday and then another group of people would go Wednesday and then we'd go back Friday. So in between those days, they could sanitize and, you know. But every day on campus was mask day. He remembers now how simple it seemed at the time, how masking was just... A no-brainer. Everybody knew that we needed to do that. Over winter break, after the district announced its new policy of not having a mask policy, case counts began to soar. Quinn fully expected the district to backtrack. I thought, you know, we were going to get right back to the, like, two days before school started again. And, you know, they're going to be like, okay, spike cases, you know, mask back. But that didn't happen. And that's when the idea of a walkout first hit him. So then I was like, okay, we need to kind of like do something. Quinn wasn't sure of the idea, but he texted a friend. I was like, you know, I got this idea. I explained it all to them. They're like, that could actually work. He says he mentioned it to a teacher, too. I was like, do you think a, like some sort of boycott would work? And she said, if you got enough people, I 100% believe that it would work. One by one, kids started talking about it and getting involved in the planning, but what they were up against was bigger than a local school board decision. The change in policy had occurred under significant pressure from Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. In late November, a Cole County judge ruled that a Missouri Health Department policy empowering local health departments to issue control measures had been unconstitutional. Schmidt attempted to apply the ruling to Missouri school districts, ordering them to halt all mask and quarantine mandates immediately. Schmidt, who had already filed a lawsuit against Columbia Public Schools earlier in the year, wrote letters to districts in St. Louis, Columbia, and Kansas City warning of consequences for noncompliance. It was in this political climate that Quinn and a growing network of organizers started handing out flyers to classmates during passing periods in high school hallways. The flyer gave a rundown of active case numbers in Boone County. As of January 5th, that number was 1,478. It also shared a tally of cases in the Hickman High School community alone as of day two in the semester. 46 known cases already, and again, that was just the second day back at school from winter break. So the flyers gave all that info, and they gave the details anyone would need to participate. Time, date, all of that. And yes, they started with paper flyers, like the old school kind. We passed them out during passing periods, you know, just like to random people. And um, we just said, you know, pass it around once you've read it. 
The original idea was to get lots of people to walk out on a Monday at noon and not come back until the mask mandate was back in place. My thinking behind that was that the school's um, funding comes from sponsorships, um, like, you know, nearby businesses or something like that. And by attendance is how much they'll get paid, you know, or they'll, they'll pay. And so when the attendance levels drop, they won't have that incoming money just because I thought that money would really be the only thing that would kind of bring their attention, you know. But ultimately, they decided to start small with a 15-minute walkout to kick things off, adding five minutes a day until their demands had been met. To try and, like, show people that we're actually really doing this, you know. It took less than a week. We started on a Monday, and by Friday, they had brought back the mandate. The mandate was temporary, set to expire again three weeks later. But it was a start. Quinn got the good news from his mom. He said that having this safety measure restored brought a sense of relief. It's very relieving, you know, there was a feeling of um, hopelessness kind of, you know, because I, you know, it just felt like a, everybody at like my, at my age kind of just like feels like a kid that can't really do anything about anything. You know, they just have to sit back and let, let whatever happen, happen. That sentiment connects Quinn and his classmates and kids at three other Columbia high schools where kids walked out in January to a whole movement of high school walkouts in U.S. history. Generations of fed-up teenagers have come to the exact same conclusions. On paper, high school students have effectively no power. So says historian Dawson Barrett, author of Teenage Rebels, successful high school activists from the Little Rock Nine to the class of tomorrow. They have to listen to their parents and to their teachers. Many of them have to listen to their bosses. Uh, And then, of course, they can't vote. Uh, And, you know, that's really the big reason that walkouts are such a popular tactic for students. Now, they're expected to sit in their desks, so the one form of rebellion they have is to get up and walk out. Student walkouts have inspired change so enduring and so pervasive, we now take it for granted. Until the 1970s, American schools required boys to have short hair and girls to wear dresses. Those rules were absolutely the norm in American schools. On the whole, that's different today, and it's not just because society uh, magically changed, but because countless high school students organized protests uh, and received detentions and suspensions for challenging those rules. Just four years ago, national school walkouts in response to a shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, pushed for safety from gun violence in schools. And the high schoolers behind those walkouts took on the NRA, which is huge. I don't think it's controversial to say that the NRA is much worse off than it was five years ago. Uh, And I think you have to acknowledge that high school students are at least some part of that. Student protest movements are bubbling up in high schools in and around Kansas City right now, even as I speak. On February 10th, students at Park Hill High School began a nonviolent protest in the school gymnasium, demanding that a teacher who called the student the N-word be fired. Meanwhile, in Wentzville, Missouri, not far from St. Louis, high school students are suing their school district for banning books. Dawson Barrett reminds me that today's teenagers witnessed the Black Lives Matter uprisings in cities and small towns across the country in 2020. That they are applying what they learned right now doesn't surprise him. They are stepping in where no one else really is. I would say adults on the whole have been pretty passive regarding the pandemic. The only unusual thing about last month's student walkouts in Missouri is that students at Hickman High School didn't defy the rules. 
They demanded rules, and their reluctant elders eventually succumbed. The students' quick victory turned out to be short-lived, though. Last week, I got a message from Quinn Feltz, letting me know that after renewing the temporary mask mandate twice, the district had let it expire again. Quinn had been confident before that if the mandate lapsed again... I've talked to the people, um, like at the other high schools in Columbia, um, they kind of asked, you know, what, what will we do if it expires? And I, we just said, just we're going to walk out again. But when it actually happened, they felt demoralized and they started looking for other ideas. Seeing the district drop the mask mandate so soon felt like defeat. When I asked if there'd be a walkout for me to drive out and see, Quinn said he didn't think so. You know, they obviously don't seem to work. Um, well, I mean, they work in a way, but we feel like the school d- district has, like, no other option but to have it back. History proves instructive on this point as well. Dawson Barrett hasn't followed the protests in Missouri all that closely, but he does consider them to have been quite successful. For that, to have, you know, at least pushed anything uh, to the school board, particularly with the school board having to defy you know, government above them and being aware of that. Uh, I don't think that's nothing. Uh, I know why it feels like nothing. You know, the, I'm a historian, so everything is long term. Um, but you live in the present, so everything feels, <laughs> feels like it's not working. Dawson Barrett defines a successful protest as one that causes people in power to feel pressure. It can be hard to know in real time when that's happened. So I'll give you a specific example. Okay, if you look at the famous 1960 lunch counter sit-ins, for months, civil rights activists, who were mostly high school and college students, they got nothing but beatings and arrests and harassment. And the store owners kept saying over and over that they would never be swayed by protest, that they would never desegregate their lunch counters. But then, after about six months, many of them did desegregate their lunch counters. The students won. But for every day of that campaign until the last one, it was a loss. So if they had stopped even a day early, we might not know that story that way. When I ask him what he would say to the students of Hickman High School about how effective their actions had been, he makes another point that to me feels equally important. It isn't just about winning and losing that also uh, right or wrong still matter. I would say history has its eyes on us. I would also say win or lose, actions matter. That's it. For the episode, I mean, the story itself is still unfolding. I'm Gina Kaufman. This podcast is produced by Mackenzie Martin and Trevor Grandin. Welcome, Trevor. This week's column was edited by C.J. Janovey. You can read the column at kcur.org every Sunday and subscribe to the podcast in any of the usual places. Just search for Real Humans by Gina Kaufman and leave us a review if you feel like it. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to sign off. Take it easy, Casey. Casey.